Before King David was king of Israel, before he ever slew Goliath, he was just a kid with a guitar. Well, a liar, but you get the idea. He came into the service of his predecessor, King Saul, specifically for that talent. Saul was, well, he was a temperamental man, to put it mildly, prone to bouts of crippling depression, fits of rage, and paranoid episodes. At one point, he tries to throw a spear at David while he's playing a song, which lodges itself in the wall as the younger man flees the room. Now, that being said, David's music was usually enough to soothe Saul's demons. It was the only thing, actually, that could. It seemed to help Saul process his wide-ranging emotions, helped him to get in touch with his feelings. Music is a powerful thing, after all. Hans Christian Andersen once said that where words fail, Music speaks. As others have said, when you sing, you pray twice. And in the words of Bob Marley, when music hits you, you feel no pain. Well, I don't know if that last one is entirely true. Music makes you feel all kinds of things. Pain, longing, joy. And maybe that's what makes it one of God's greatest gifts. The reading this morning is from 1 Samuel. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a kid, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand and Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It drives my kids crazy when they climb into my car, but I can't start driving until I find exactly the right music to suit my mood. I pull out my phone and I scroll through my playlists on Spotify, my 
music app of choice taking entirely too long to find something appropriate. If I'm in any kind of decent mood, I usually like to listen to synthwave when I drive. It's been my go-to for the last couple of years, a relatively new genre of music that combines the synthesizers and saxophones of the 80s with wailing guitar solos and darker apocalyptic themes. While maintaining an upbeat, pounding rhythm that makes me feel like breaking the speed limit just a little. I can almost imagine that I'm driving through the neon-lit wreckage of some dark retro future, and for some reason, that just gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. <laughs> Dad, come on, one of my boys will whine from the back seat. Let's just go. If I'm not in a good mood, I'll put on something more melancholy, maybe some Leonard Cohen or Towns Van Zant, songwriters who manage to echo my angst when I'm in a certain kind of existential funk. If yours is the glory, mine must be the shame. Cohen groans with his gravelly voice. You want it darker, we kill the flame. If I'm feeling edgy and rebellious, as I usually am, like I want to stick it to the man, you know? I fall back to my heavy metal catalog, the only thing I listened to for 20 years when my tastes were a lot narrower. You cannot go wrong with some good old-fashioned Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, or Black Sabbath. No matter what your parents or your parish priest tell you, is it, is it a bad sign that that just fell off? Um. <laughs> You better believe Father Jetty told me when I was in Catholic school. It was the devil's music, he said, the soundtrack to buy damnation. But I never thought I'd become a preacher. <laughs> so naturally, as you can imagine, my kids don't like any of it. No more than they enjoy waiting for me to find the right song before I leave the driveway. And irritated by my taste in music, subjected to it regularly, they have discovered a rather creative form of revenge. When I'm out on an errand or something by myself, they'll interrupt my streaming music with this really annoying song. See, we all share the same Spotify account, so all they have to do is open up the app on one of their phones, and it'll start playing something else in my car. So I'm driving my car, really getting into whatever I've put on, and suddenly the music stops and this comes on. Come over here, come over here. Check out my new shoes. They're the brand new. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, buckle for more. Five, six, Nike kicks. Ooh, that is so fire. One, two. <sighs> now, whenever this happens, I remember how I used to flush the toilet whenever my dad was in the shower. But a song like this does raise the question, is there any such thing as objectively bad music? Or is it all in the eye or the ear of the beholder? Both Rolling Stone and GQ magazine conducted independent surveys to determine the worst song of all time, a song so universally reviled that no one could possibly enjoy it. And interestingly, they both discovered the same thing. 
we built this city on rock and roll <laughs> by, by Starship. According to these surveys, it actually makes people angry when they hear it. And as the writer for GQ concluded, it will stay lodged in your brain like a barnacle made of synthesizers and cocaine. <laughs> Music is supposed to make you feel something, right? But it doesn't always make you feel something good. I can remember going to see the, uh, the Russell Crowe movie, Gladiator, back in the late 90s with a good friend of mine. I loved the movie. I found myself deeply moved by the score, in particular, composed by Hans Zimmer and Lisa Gerrard. If you've seen it, you might recall the haunting orchestral melodies that so perfectly captured this tragic story of the Roman general who became a slave, the slave who became a gladiator, the gladiator who defied an emperor. But as we left the theater, my friend was critical of the film and the soundtrack in particular. I found the score to be emotionally manipulative, he remarked. This struck me as an odd and absurd critique, like complaining that water was wet. I mean, of course it's emotionally manipulative. The, the composers are trying to make you feel something, which is true, I think, of all music. Certainly it was true for King Saul and his young maestro, David, who played the lyre. Saul was a complex man. As I said earlier, he suffered from dark moods and crippling bouts of depression and rage. And if we explore his context a little bit, it's easy to see why. You see, Saul was ordained as the first king of Israel's first monarchy after a long period of rule by tribal affiliations and more organic leadership. For centuries, the tribes of Israel had followed men and women that rose up in times of struggle. Judges, the Bible calls them, natural-born leaders. Saul, by contrast, is appointed by the prophet Samuel in a formal coronation. And it's worth noting here that within the context of the story, both Samuel and God thought that a monarchy was a bad idea. Listen to the voice of the people, God tells Samuel, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Just as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day forsaking me. Listen to them, but you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will rule over them. In other words, Saul is not elevated to the throne because God sees potential in him or because he's a strong leader. He's more or less picked out of a hat. Anyone will do. And again, within the context of the story, it almost seems like God wants Saul to fail to illustrate just how ill-advised this notion of a monarchy is. Saul, just a regular guy with no particular qualifications, is not prepared for the responsibility and the stress of leadership. Heavy is the head that wears the crown and all that. Saul can't possibly live up to the expectations that his people have for him, and even God, at least this portrayal of God, which I want to be 
careful to point out, I don't believe is accurate. Even God has it out for him. I don't believe that God ordains kings or presidents, but this scripture comes from the ancient world where people believe that God did. And I don't think God throws people under the bus or sets them up to fail just to make an example out of them. But that's what happens in this story. From day one, Saul is propped up as an example of why a king is a terrible idea in the first place. Is it any wonder that the man is depressed? The only thing that can calm his frayed nerves, we are told, is music. Amidst the ongoing war, political maneuvering, palace intrigue, and spiritual desperation, David's lyre is Saul's only refuge. I have to wonder what kind of music David played, though. We built this city. We built this city on no. No, it was it was definitely not that. We built this city oh. rock and roll. Good Lord, make it stop. All right. All right. Yeah, no. All right. Stop. All right. <laughs> oh. Say you don't know me. Oh. It was definitely not that. I think Saul would have thrown that spear a lot sooner if, uh, if that's what David was playing. Whatever David played, I doubt that it was anything too upbeat at all. If Saul was anything like me, he'd want to hear something more somber when one of his dark moods took hold. Something in D minor, perhaps, which Nigel Tufnell of Spinal Tap once called the saddest of all keys. You see, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, and when I'm feeling desperate, unequal to the tasks before me, inadequate as a husband or a father, a friend or a pastor, I also find sanctuary in music. Some people find it strange when I listen to sad songs when I'm feeling sad. They don't understand why I'd want to wallow in it, you know, plunge myself deeper into that feeling. They think it more sensible to listen to something that'll cheer me up. But, you know, when I'm feeling bad, I don't want to listen to cheerful pop music. It just grates on me, makes me feel worse. I want to listen to something that echoes my sorrow, my longing, my frustration. Something that gives voice and texture to my feelings. That kind of music helps me to sit with them, process them, before I can take a breath and move on. So much of our society is designed to keep us from feeling anything at all, to distract us, numb us, sedate us. But unlike Joey Ramone, maybe I don't want to be sedated. Maybe I want to feel something and feel it deeply. We've got a brilliant new exhibit in our art gallery this morning, a collection called Fill the Earth with Music. It offers uh, a wide range of images that depict six centuries worth of musical expressions from all over the world. Lithographs of David playing his lyre, an 18th century Dutch engraving of the title page of the Book of Psalms, and my personal favorite, authentic pages from a 16th 
century book of music that was used by real Gregorian choirs who had to gather around the leaves and peer over one another's shoulders to read the music in the absence of mass-produced copies. It's a poignant and stunning reminder of the role that music has played in the world and in the life of the church specifically. Our music is such a critical part of who we are as a community of faith and we are blessed with so many remarkable musicians and leaders. Blessed with melodies from a wide diversity of traditions and genres that touch the soul whenever we gather here together in worship. Songs of longing, songs of peace, songs of sorrow, songs of great joy. All of them help us to get in touch with something tender and holy deep inside of us, namely the soul, which is nothing less but a fragment of God's light and love. But here's the thing, friends, that I want us all to remember. It's not only the musicians who bring the gift of music to this church. Each of us, each and every one, contributes something to our collective song. Like the different instruments of an orchestra, like the different limbs of the body of Christ, we each play our part. Our kitchen chicks, our Stephen ministers, our worship leaders, our committee leadership, our bridge mentors, our PADS volunteers, our financial supporters, our green team, and yes, our choir, among so many others, they all make beautiful music together. At the end of a life, that music might be mournful. In the midst of the struggle for justice, it might be a rousing anthem. And today, on Rally Day, as we look forward to a new year in the life of our church, a new year being part of one another's lives in community, and as we consider what part we might play, we each sing a festive, joyful song unto the Lord. This year, as we strive to be the church, let us fill this place and the whole world with music. Our forebears built this church, and we build it still. Maybe not on rock and roll per se, but on a harmony that we all play together, each of us adding our parts. And it makes you feel something, doesn't it? And today, today it feels really good. Amen. <laughs>